it's easy to lose the story in the details. So we're taking a bird's eye view of the key promises and covenants that we've learned in the Bible walkthrough so far on The Bible Brief. Did you know that The Bible Brief is a listener-supported show? Consider becoming a monthly supporter at the link in the show notes. As we read the Bible, it can be easy to get bogged down on all the details. There are so many names and places and events that they can begin to swim around in our minds, get muddled together, and ultimately lose their significance. Jacob becomes just another name. Joshua becomes one of those Israelites in the Old Testament, and Abraham soon becomes the old man who had a child with his old wife. If we're not intent to hold all the people places and events together, we can just separate them into little vignettes, little stories to teach us moral lessons and nothing more. The fall of man in the garden becomes a warning against temptation and deception. The exodus becomes a legend of triumph of slaves over their masters. The conquest of the land becomes a lesson in the benefits of good military strategy. Drifting into this mere moralistic reading of the Bible must be resisted. And a key way to resist this type of reading is to always keep the big story in mind. Not the story of the fall, or the exodus, or the conquest. No, the story we need to keep in mind is the story of the Bible as a whole. Removing these smaller vignettes from their Bible story context robs them of their significance by reducing them into mere moral lessons. However, remembering each smaller story in the context of the larger story of the Bible anchors us to significance. The fall of man is not merely a story of temptation and deception, but it's foundational to the rest of the Bible story. It shows us the problem of sin and the promise of God to deal with sin and death and evil. The Exodus isn't merely about slaves in triumph over their masters, but it's a demonstration of the faithfulness of God to hear the cries of His people and to fulfill promises made generations prior. The conquest isn't merely a lesson on military strategy. It's a picture of God's power to bring His promises to bear and His blessing upon His obedient people. The big story of the Bible weaves together all of these seemingly individual stories to provide a message inscribed from the first page to the last page of the Bible. A message of salvation to a world through a Savior that God will provide. A Savior who will bless His people in a new garden land, having defeated and cast out evil. Reading the Bible rightly means always keeping the big story in mind. With that said, we're going to do a review of some of the key promises and covenants to provide something like a status update based on where we are so far in the story of the Bible. So let's get to it. God's mission is blessing for the world. From the very beginning, Blessing was his purpose and plan for humanity. He placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. They were to fill the world with humans and bless the world through their benevolent rule over all the creatures. But this unmitigated blessing was lost. In disobeying God's prohibition to eat from the forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the humans fell into sin and were cast out of God's abundant garden. 
They experienced cursing outside the garden, and sin began to spread where blessing was intended. That sin eventually became so pervasive with such violence that God flooded the world, saving only Noah and his family from the devastating flood judgment upon the land. This reset of humanity, however, wasn't a reset of the story. Since the garden and the fall of man, God was beginning to focus his story on a seed. He promised that one day a seed of the woman would come to defeat the evil deceiver of mankind in the garden. One day, this promised seed of the woman would come to set things right. And Noah was one of those people in that seed's genealogy through Eve's third son. Noah and his family were demonstrations that even in the midst of a worldwide flood judgment, that God's promises do not fail. That line of seed continued past Noah, through his son Shem, all the way to a man named Abraham, who lived among an idol-worshipping family just south of where the Tower of Babel had had its construction interrupted. From Ur, Abraham was called to a new place, a new land by God himself. In faith, Abraham came to the land of Canaan, and while there, God expanded his seed promise with some significant detail. To Abraham he promised land, seed, and blessing. The land of Canaan, seed or offspring in abundance, and blessing to the world through a particular seed of Abraham. Through these promises contained in the Abrahamic covenant, God was expressing more of his plan to bless the world again. He was going to set things right, and he would do it using the offspring of Abraham, and especially a particular future offspring. God's mission of blessing was gaining more detail. Eventually, a nation came from Abraham, his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob. The nation was named after Abraham's grandson, who was renamed Israel after a midnight wrestling match with God. This nation was a group of 70 when they traveled from the land of Canaan to Egypt to escape a famine. And about 400 years later, they had grown into a nation of around 2 million people. There was a problem, though. While a prior pharaoh king of Egypt had honored Jacob and his family, a new pharaoh arose in Egypt who didn't remember them. Instead, he forced all Israel to hard labor to build great store cities for him. Further, out of fear of the Israelites and their growing population, he instituted a genocidal campaign against all the little boys born to them. The Israelites cried out to God for salvation from this evil ruler. It was in this context that God rose up Moses, an Israelite raised in Pharaoh's own household, to lead the Israelite nation out of their Egyptian slavery to the land of Canaan, that land long ago promised to Abraham. At the age of 80 years old, Moses leads the people in the great exodus from Egypt after God sends great plagues upon Egypt. Three days later, Yahweh, the God of Israel, defeats the Egyptian army at the Sea of Reeds after the people of Israel walk through the sea on dry ground. The people have been saved from their slavery by God, and Moses leads the people to Mount Sinai, where God descends atop the mountain in a fearful display of sheer power. The people demand that Moses speak to God alone, because they fear to be close to the mountain lest they die. And it's here at Mount Sinai that God begins to give the nation a collection of laws as part of a covenant with them. Starting with the Ten Commandments, he gives the nation a body of laws that will govern the nation, and the nation agrees to follow all the laws that God gives them. The Sinai Covenant is instituted. But soon, the people fail to obey God when they come to the entrance of the Promised Land of Canaan. 
Instead, they spend the next 40 years in the wilderness until the disobedient generation is all dead. Just before the death of Moses, he reminds the people of the covenant initially made at Mount Sinai and tells the people of the blessing and the curses that will be experienced in connection with this covenant. To this younger generation, he says that great and wonderful blessing will be experienced by the nation if they obey God's laws in the land of Canaan that they're about to enter. But in contrast, truly awful cursing will result from disobedience to God's law. The people will be cursed and cast out from the land of Canaan. After reviewing this blessing and curse, Moses dies, and the people enter the land of Canaan through the leadership of Joshua. They conquer much of the land and come to be the major power among the nations of Canaan. Joshua allots land to each of the twelve tribes of Israel and echoes the message of Moses before Joshua himself dies. The people will be blessed if they obey and cursed if they disobey. So far in the Bible walkthrough, we've seen three major points in which God makes promises that build on each other. And it's critical that we correctly understand how these promises relate to one another, or we can misunderstand coming events in the Bible story. The first point is the promise of the seed. This is the oldest promise in God's story of blessing. It's a promise that forms the basis of the other promises in the Bible. The seed of the woman will defeat the serpent at the cost of his own life. It's this seed promise that much of the book of Genesis develops. Which brings us to the second point, which is the Abrahamic covenant promises. These promises build upon the earlier promise of the seed by adding detail and providing a contextual framework for the coming of this one offspring who will defeat evil. Through the Abrahamic covenant, we discover that this promised seed of old will come from a nation descending from Abraham himself, a nation that will be connected to both the land of Canaan and the promise of a multitude of offspring. God is going to use this nation as a vehicle through whom the promised seed of old will come. The seed who we find out will be a king who reigns over Israel and has dominion over the whole world. It's this third point, however, that people can often get confused about the Sinai Covenant. It's important to remember that the covenant that God makes with the nation of Israel doesn't replace the covenant made with Abraham in any way. Instead, it makes enjoyment of the land portion of the Abrahamic covenant to be conditional upon the obedience of the nation to the law of God. That is, the nation is forever promised the land of Canaan, but that promise is only realized when the nation itself is obedient to God's law. Blessing and dwelling in the land is the result of obedience. Cursing and being cast out from the land is the result of disobedience. So we have the promise of the seed, the Abrahamic covenant, and the Sinai covenant, all related but distinct in what they accomplish. The promise of the seed develops and gains detail in the Abrahamic covenant of land, seed, and blessing while the later Sinai covenant expresses conditionality for the generations of Israel to experience the land promise in the Abrahamic covenant. If they obey God, they will experience the blessing of dwelling in the promised land. If they disobey, they will experience cursing and being cast from the land. Keeping these promises and the covenant straight can help us keep the story of the Bible straight in our minds. We can see that as the story continues to progress, God is working all these promises toward the oldest promise in the book. He's going to bring forth a seed from Eve, from Abraham, and from the nation of Israel. 
That offspring, then, will gain back the blessing of the Garden of Eden. He will defeat his enemies, and he will reign as king. But before that, God is weaving into his great story the nation of Israel. He's using this nation both as a vehicle of promise and as an object lesson for other nations. He's setting up history for the entrance of the Savior of the world, so that all will be primed when the blessing is made available again, not just to Israel, but to all the nations of the world. Join us next time as we launch into the next era of the Bible story, an era of leadership vacuums, God's mercy, awful rebellion, and the anticipation of a king. Next time, we launch into the era of the Judges. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023